This is BC Wolf, and you're listening to Orange Juice for the Years on Dub Lab. And today it is such a great pleasure to be joined by author, producer, business owner, international drummer, Queen Cora Coleman, a truly multifaceted and cosmic being. Queen, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> it's a pleasure. <laughs> it is a pleasure, me too. Thank you for inviting me. So just a few of Queen's incredible highlights as a drummer include a five-year tenure with Prince, a three-year run with Beyonce, Jesus, I mm. mean, <laughs> and Queen is the only musician to play in two of the NFL's top 10 Super Bowl halftime shows. Queen has also performed with everyone from Pink to Jill Scott. An entrepreneur as well as a creator, Queen Cora has designed her own 360 cosmic electroacoustic drum set for which she produced an immersive VR piece of her show at the Royal Albert Hall. Queen is also the founder and CEO of the cutting-edge construction company Building Simple and author of numerous books about youth empowerment. Queen, what a powerhouse you are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You know, th thank, you. thank you again for being with us. And it's no great mystery, but why do you think I chose that as your opening track? <laughs> well, it's definitely um, a huge marker in my life, for sure. And a historic moment for Prince as well. And that particular segment at the end is, is significant with the marching band for me because it's like full circle of being in the marching band when I was in high school and college. And I think that is the, it's a statement of history and intention and impact and empowerment embodied in a, a single performance just insane and like the <laughs> fact that that is your opening track because if anyone didn't realize from queen's great humility <laughs> she of course was playing that halftime super bowl show yeah it's phenomenal i mean just it was a life-changing experience you know to sit there and share that what what would be his largest performance with him so yeah Definitely. And, and there was a downpour, right? It was. Yeah. Like <laughs> purple rain raining, you know, raining through purple rain. I don't think uh, it could have been any more divine than that, you know. So we met, we were lucky enough to meet <laughs> pretty recently, even yeah. though it feels like I've known you forever. Forever. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and we we cross paths at the she rock uh, she rocks awards mm -hmm. and um i was winning an innovator award mm -hmm. and you were part of the incredible band for that Thank award you. show um and yeah i just remember coming into this rehearsal and sort of 
I don't know, apprehensive. You know, I think I mentioned I was always very collaborative in a lot of areas and then very uh, insular in others. Mm -hmm. And you just immediately blew me away. And I think Mm. one time we, we just chatted about frequencies and healing yeah <laughs> like before we even played it's like yeah yeah it was a really powerful moment and conversation and it I felt like it allowed us to move in light years in understanding of each other and um, you know sometimes it, we bypass time when we understand the heart of someone you know which is why I've, I feel and I think you feel like we've known each other forever because once I saw your heart and you saw my heart, we were like, oh, there you are, <laughs> you know? And then the music just became a portal, you know, through that. I mean, I think after the conversation, we just kind of sat there like, wow, yeah. Almost yeah. didn't need to play. No. We could have just chatted on stage. We totally could. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did through our instruments. And I think, um, you know, it's a really powerful performance and it's... Uh, really sentimental, you know, and just hearing your relationship with Ali and just all of those changes and talking through healing and talking about the power of music and frequency and how it really can just change our lives or save our lives or heal our lives or center us is a powerful understanding as a creative. And that is literally the theme of the show you've nailed it so you know this is orange juice for the years the title of the show is taken from a quote by oliver sacks about the power of music how deep it really goes um and the quote is music can lift us out of a depression or move us to tears it is a remedy a tonic an orange juice for the ear and i'd just like to ask queen what does that quote mean to you you know I see music really from a cellular level in terms of everything being rooted in rhythm. And that I always say life is rhythm and rhythm is pattern. So we look at music from the fullest expression, but it really is a comprehensive sort of um, intertwinement of rhythm. And when rhythm moves at a certain frequency or speed, then we identify it as B-flat or the note C on the piano or whatever. But it all starts with a rhythm. It all starts with a pattern, as does life with the heartbeat. And um, everything in our body is shaped around the rhythm of our heart, you know, and our aura and how we feel each other is based on... uh, an energy, which is a frequency, which is stemmed from the heart, which is a rhythm. And, you know, so music then becomes a combination of all this rhythm. And whether it's our heartbeat and it's our essence as beings or it's the expression of music through, you know, rhythm, um, you know, it changes who we are and Mm -hmm. it impacts who we are and how we are and what we see. And I think even... um, that influence with love or the lack of love is still a matter of rhythm and music can can change that and it can raise people's frequency and their uh, connection with maybe something that is underexpressed or underrepresented in their life and that's love or light and that comes through the intention of the creator 
and the creative, and if they're creating music with that in mind, that they want to make a difference, then someone who's down can listen to the intent of the creator and be made to feel better. You know? I, I hope you're going to put this in a book <laughs> one day. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I'm telling you. You know, I, I hope that um, makes sense, but it's just the power of uh, vibration and you know when you put it all together through instruments from the heartbeat it's a powerful mechanism and it without words it can really change the trajectory of our universe and our world and us as people and nature and all of that because it's all one realign realign and retune us mm -hmm, definitely so what else is a tonic in your life? What's a tonic? Hmm. Wellness. Health and wellness is a tonic for me. It is definitely an important part of my journey of just feeling good. Um, and I think it impacts everything, whether it's music or just engaging with people. If mm. I feel good, if I take care of myself, then it's easier for me to take care of other people, you know? So that's a t that's a root for me. That's a tonic for you me. You say that, but how much sleep did you get last night? <laughs> In moderation. I mean, I, that's not my norm, but I did not get a lot of sleep last night. <laughs> but generally, I do. You know, generally I do, and I give myself sort of those uh, opportunities to um, be in the moment and just maximize the experience that I'm having. And I have some really awesome things that are unfolding. And so I just honored the moment, you know. Uh, and I'm, I'm a timekeeper, right? And so I got here, like, right on time. <laughs> but, you know, there's, like, on time and then there's in time. And, you know, sometimes we're rushing for a particular hour, which is important at times, but I also give room for the flow of time. You know, and so last night I did and I didn't sleep much, but generally I make it a point to just, you know, have a full night's rest and, you know, stay hydrated and eat clean and keep myself in, in healthy environments. You well, know? <laughs> you must be because you look gorgeous. Thank as you. Ever. So, um, Thanks. Okay, so moving on to the first track, um, the song that imprinted on you as a kid. Do you remember what that was? I think it was Bobby, well, Bobby McFerrin's uh, Simple Pleasures project um, also included, like, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And that was really great for me. My, my father and my mother were super music aficionados. They were huge appreciators. So um, I just remember my, my dad exposing me, and I think we had it on tape, you know, and I was amazed with what Bobby McFerrin did with his voice. So then I'm beatboxing all around the house and, you know, just trying to recreate that. And the way he made his voice sound like an instrument. And then it was like, oh, well, I guess an instrument sounds like a voice, you know. So that was the beginning uh, of me really digesting rhythm intentionally like that it, it just really resonated with me and I was like wow that's amazing so I would listen to it over and over again so definitely Bobby McFerrin uh, <laughs> 
sing it now. Hello, this is BC <laughs> Wolf. You're listening to Orange Juice for the Years on Dove Lab, and that was Simple Pleasures by Bobby McFerrin. Um, and that was Queen Cora's track that imprinted on her age eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Simple pleasures are the best, you know? <laughs> when I really like to hear you sing along with that, that was, <laughs> that was a highlight for me. Um, and yeah. ha- so, how did it make you feel? You said that. It was the first time you kind of realized that a voice was an instrument. Yeah, yeah, it did. So then I was mimicking him, and I was trying to figure out how many different tones I could get out of my forearm and out of my finger snaps and Seriously. out of my, you know, like hitting on my chest. And I'm like, how can I create a, another rhythm around that? And how did he sing? And how did he get that tone? And how did he get that? You know, like that. So I started playing with sound and rhythm in that from that amazing yeah and that would you say that was kind of the birth of that real interest and understanding about rhythm i think so i I think so i i you know started tap dancing too around that time i was in elementary school so that's rhythm you know as well and dance but uh in terms of like actual music representation that that definitely was a a marker for me yeah so you were born in houston um what was your what was home life like and you mentioned there was music in the house but like just paint more of a picture of that so there i grew up with my two sisters i'm the youngest of four and my brother he's the oldest Um, my mother and my father they were both huge into music we had a, an amazing vinyl collection i mean tina turner my mother loved tina turner to the point that she would like have a wig and a little skirt and <laughs> you know she would participate in our like elementary school events and fundraisers as tina turner always, as tina. <laughs> always. <laughs> so and then she would tap dance and she had this um this 12 by 12 stone that she would tap dance on and that's my mom, and, and then my dad played bass clarinet, but huge um, vinyl collector. And um, my brother was a football player. My oldest sister was an artist, visual artist, excellent artist. And then my sister closest to me, Jeannie, was in education. She's interested in teaching. And um, and then I was all over the place. <laughs> or you were all of those things. I was all those things. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be like them because they're my big sister my big brother so um you know it definitely left a lot of scrapes on my knees and on my hands of just trying to catch up but um every day was an exploration my mother was a lifeguard and she did a lot for the community she was always helping older people um and helping kids and sometimes we she would dress up as a clown for parties and you know play music and our birthday parties were always huge in the yard. We were the yard that everybody came to play and played softball. And, you know, so a real um, what felt like wholesome experience. Mm. Um, my grandparents were well, pretty well off. Um, they were in real estate and they were community leaders. Mm. But it wasn't a very um, flashy experience. So... Um, it just felt simple, 
it, it was it was simple simple pleasures. pleasures. It was that you yeah. know we we clean the yard and cut the yard on Saturdays together, and we watch cartoons in the morning. And my dad took us to school, and it was that you know it was very well well gr- um, intended and mm. supported and loved. And we had a swimming pool in the backyard. And I think what they showed me um, was I mean it. There would be times where I'd be jumping in the swimming pool and my dad would just, and off the diving board, he'd, he'd be in the water with his hands out. And there's a picture, I have a picture like that. And that's how I felt they um, equipped me for life. Like, mm. just jump, just try, just do, just go. And I'll be here and I'll catch you, you know? That was... That's amazing. That was my beginning, yeah. And did you always have, as a kid, so you were, you were athletic, you were creative, you were academic. Yeah. Did you always have this mix of left and right brain? I did. I did. And it, it's, uh, it's been kind of seamless between the two um, and a little effortless. So I was in, I played basketball, volleyball, softball, tennis. I did competitive diving and competitive like lap swimming. And then I was a peer leader and I represented my high school, and then I was valedictorian of my high school, and um, yeah, I just kind of did everything. Mm. And I, I would learn. I, I learned how to learn, and I think I understood systems of learning, and so it made it easier to embrace new information. It was just like, oh, what's the rhythm of this? Oh, okay, got it. <coughs> Whatever that was, whether that was sports or academics or people, understanding the rhythm of people, you know, influencing and being a mentor, that sort of thing. Being a leader, it was just understanding the rhythm of it. Um, in terms of music, how did you fall into that? And w- w- were the drums your first instrument? or? Let's see. I mean, I played the recorder. <laughs> oh, who didn't? Yeah, I played the recorder, so um, that was probably my first sort of tonal experience. I feel like that instrument just needs to be thrown away. (laughs) (laughs) All of that. But I bet you played it so well, Queen. I probably did, you know. And if I didn't, then I acted like I did at least. But um, And then I had some experience with violin that was just kind of like passing through. Mm. But I actually did. And then I, I have a picture that my dad sent me um, before he passed of me playing a box with hangers, <laughs> like the brown wow. part of the hanger. So that was your first drum kit? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. It was, you know. And then uh, it, I tried to get in the band in eighth grade. And they wanted to put me in beginner's band. And so, you know, of course, I'm not going to be in beginner's band in eighth grade. Who the, what the heck? (laughs) Like, how uncool is that? (laughs) So when I got to ninth grade, uh, I got in the marching band and um, the concert band. So I started learning how to read music. Mm. And I was an overachiever, you know, and I was very competitive. So I was a section leader by the 10th grade in the drum section. And uh, I was reading music and my dad, I had actually a guy who didn't really want me to play the drums, the drum set. So he's kind of little bully energy. Uh, so my dad bought me congas from a pawn shop so I could travel with the jazz hey. ensemble. <laughs> so I would just sit there, boop, boop, boop. 
And I would just watch <laughs> and absorb. And then when he graduated, then I got on the drum set in 11th grade more seriously, you mm. know. And, and I just, you know, always <clears throat> felt kind of behind musically because I had friends that they were playing in church and mm. they had been playing since they were like eight or like actually playing. And so it just gave me this super drive inside to like catch up and I never really looked around at that point I just really looked at being better mm. being a better me you know so I didn't I didn't um you know some people are like oh this person played on that album and then they can mimic you know drum solos and stuff like that I didn't really do that because I was just trying to be a better me versus being a replica of someone else you know absolutely yeah um which I think is always the key it's like find your own unique voice voice not literally voice but mm. whatever it is you have to say perspective mm-hmm. cultivate that because that's where the magic is totally mm. totally so you've always been a visual journaler yes journaler. <laughs> <laughs> yep. how did you first start doing that like what you know how and why um did that come into your consciousness mm. and what were some of the things that you put in your journal as a young girl hmm good question so eighth grade I think that was the beginning and we just had to journal in a class and just keep a notebook and I still have it like in my storage and I would say like today was great you know we played outside had recess and I ate whatever for lunch, and then I took some chips from across the street at the store or something. I just went, (laughs) just share my thoughts. And then in ninth and 10th grade, I actually started keeping more of a journal, like a little bit more serious and like actually dating everything. And I think I have like maybe 25 journals or something, 25 or 30 journals that are all different sizes from different parts of the world. But, um, then it became therapeutic, you know, just to share, like, my feelings and my fears in what felt like a safe space, you know. And then I would goal set and say, okay, this could be cool. And then I just started dreaming. And then I would, like, practice my autograph and say, one day I'm going to matter. And, you know, just dream, you know, dream through the journal. And uh, then my high school band director at Cashmere in Houston would read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Just every every class period, we would have something on the board. Or whatever. Mm. And so um, one of the principles that always resonated was begin with the end in mind. So then I started journaling, thinking about how I would want something to end, like whatever it was, whether it was my career or high school or college or whatever like how would this feel how would I want to walk away at the end of this which is ended that ended up being what my valedictory speech was about like my speech was about how we will be looking back 20 years from now yeah and um the long now exactly exactly so it became that kind of portal for me to just release and to to archive and to dream but you saw yourself playing with Prince, right? I did. <laughs> I did. I wrote Prince's name down, uh, Beyonce, Patti LaBelle, uh, Michael Jackson. And, I mean, 
Oprah. 50%. Hey, you <laughs> yeah. know, pretty high success Two out of three. Right? <laughs> <laughs> not, not bad at all. You know, but I do remember Prince, um, we did a show with Prince. We were doing a residency in Vegas at, at the Rio, and it was 3121, and Michael, Michael Jackson came to one of the shows. So we were like, oh, my God, he's in the audience. He's over there, you know. And it was, it was amazing, but I have so many things that I've been able to go back and look at and see that I've accomplished. And wow. that is phenomenal, you know. It feels incredible. And, you know, it also, um, you know, it kind of lets you know in life that even when you experience whatever seems like the greatest thing, after you experience it, then you're looking for the next greatest mm. thing, you know. So what's actually more important that I've learned from my journals is my journey, not really the arrival um, India Ari says life is a journey, not a destination. You know, there's not a destination like the journey is the destination. Mm. It's it's constantly unfolding. You know, so my my journals have taught me that to just enjoy the moments. You know, so Queen Cora, what was the first album that shaped who you are? Had a big impact on you? The first album, I think I've put. James Brown. <laughs> I got that feeling. Did I say that? Well, you put... So it was James Brown, but then it was also Lynn Collins. Oh, think yeah. Think, it. yeah. Ah. Yes. Okay. So that one. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to jam that a little bit? We're going to play that right now. Let's go straight into Think by Lynn Collins. Oh, yeah. Hey, fellas. I'm talking to you. That was Think About It by Lynn Collins from the album titled The Same Name. Uh, and that was written by James Brown. Uh, and that was Queen's first album that really impacted <laughs> yeah. both Lynn and James. Yep. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did you first come to hear that? Um, again, my dad. My dad. He's, he's that guy. He was that guy. Um, and just listening to it over and over again. And, you know, with the vinyl experience, you know, yeah, when there's a a skip in the record, then that becomes um, part of the music. Part of the journey. <laughs> and so I just remember when it, it would skip at a certain part and then I would wait for it, you know, to jump and or I would change it. And so, you know, that was a that was an album that that definitely resonated and i think um that was definitely a just that um era of music mm. and james brown in particular um my introduction to maceo parker and that funk and you know the thought and i was a thinker so it's like that song that spoke to me yeah you know think about like i don't want misery i don't want any of these things i i want to think about my future and I want to make decisions that are reflective of the experience I want to have in the future, you know? So think, 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 think. You and know? you were like, what What kind of age? Mm, I guess then I was nine. I mean, not far from the Bobby McFerrin yeah. experience, you know? Nine, Happens yeah. young. Yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> and it was just there. 
you know, it was there and it was sort of an underscore to life, like just music, I think, for a lot of us. There are certain songs that help us time travel. and It's like, oh, I remember we were, you know, going to a picnic after we heard that song or we heard that at the family reunion or whatever. But, um, but yeah, my dad exposed me to a lot of music and James Brown and Earth, Wind & Fire and, you know, Otis Redding mm. and all of that classics. Good, you good know? dad. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so then... Um, you went to Howard U- University in Washington. Yes. And you changed from computer science to music. Yes. Uh, you were the first recipient of a scholarship for outstanding percussion. Yeah. First female leader of Howard's Thunder Machine. <laughs> yes. Were you aware that you were creating all these new molds? <laughs> uh, you know, not until later because um, I was just doing them. You know, I was just in motion. Um, it, it's really sometimes not until I write it down that I say, oh, look at that. <laughs> that's cool. You know, that's historic or whatever. But I was just doing it. And I just sometimes people ask me, like, what is it like to be, you know, a female drummer? And what is it like to be that? Right. And I'm kind of like, well, I've never been a male drummer. I really only know this, <laughs> you know. But more than, you know, it being a male-female thing, I know what it is to pursue excellence. Mm-hmm. And that's really been what has propelled me. Um, and it helps in different areas to be female, you know, because it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you um, aren't looking at a video and you just listen, then it should just sound like a good musician or a good whatever, excellent whatever. So I really aimed more towards that and then um, because sometimes we don't champion um, our girls to push for excellence then you know it does kind of feed into some stereotypes that you know in certain areas women aren't pushing to be more aggressive so Mm. because I do and because I did then I end up sitting in these positions and then having this like title as that and then looking back and saying oh there was no other woman that did that before that so that's pretty cool you know so then after graduating what brought you to LA well I didn't get into Juilliard (laughs) 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 and I was trying to get into the jazz studies program like this master's program and (laughs) so I made it to the final audition um, that was on campus, but and everybody was like, "Oh, you're definitely going to get it," and all of that, and I didn't. And so um, I came out to LA for this jazz educators conference my senior year at Howard, and I ended up actually before that when I was at Howard, I was working at the Carter Baron Amphitheater, just learning sound mm. and learning. You know, like I I worked there to make money, but I wanted to do something that was going to align with what I was pursuing. So I learned like how to wrap cables and I underst- I learned like what an XLR cable was from a quarter inch cable to an eighth inch cable to that sort of thing. Mm. And there was a guy, a bass player named Sekou Bunch who was playing with Patrice Russian and he came to soundcheck early. And so he, I think I was playing and he came up and um, he just was like, man, it's just something different about you. And, you know, if you're ever in LA, you know, give me a ring. I just, you know, just let me know. There's some people I'd love to connect you with. So when I went to the Jazz, Ed- Jazz Educators Conference, it was in Long Beach. 
And then I told Sekou that I was in L.A. And so he gave me, like, Ricky Lawson's number and Ndugu Chancellor and Patrice Russian and Terry Lynn Carrington and, like, all these A-list mm. musicians. He gave me their contact information in Manyango Jackson. And he said, connect with them. I, you, you need to connect with them. And so then Ricky Lawson, who played on so many of... Um, Michael Jackson's albums and toured with him as well and you know a bunch of other people um, said well if you're here for the Jazz Educators Conference you should stay for NAM. you should stay for the NAM trade show so I was, you know I did I called my professors and told them and it's my senior year and uh, so I stayed another week and my dad was okay with it but that is really what grabbed me about being in LA yeah so I knew that I wasn't going back home I knew that I wasn't um, well versed enough in recording to be in Nashville and I wasn't going to struggle and be in New York. That's how I felt. So L.A. became <laughs> the option. And when I graduated, I said, OK, I'm going to I'm going to come and live in L.A. Yeah. And pretty soon after that, you won the Guitar Center annual national drum off. Yes. Um, yes. And you have, I'm just going to say you were the first female to do so. I was um, actually the only female. <laughs> the only female. <laughs> yeah. First and only. Yeah. Um, did that open up doors? It did. It did because it put me before, you know, the industry and the drumming community in particular is really big on uh, networking. And so all of the drum companies are there, all the, the top um artist relations managers of those companies and the owners of those companies and the top drummers in the in the industry are there to see who's going to win this title and so i was in touch with chris hart and he works at remo and he was really good friends with my godfather and he said okay take your time you know i know you have this win and i know all these companies are going to be interested but just take your time and really you know stick or choose a company that actually represents the sound that you're going to want for for you, you know. But uh, it was great, great visibility, and uh, it was the launch pad mm. for a lot of uh, great experiences after that, new relationships. So tell me about how you first met Prince. <laughs> oh, wow. So and what was the venue? See. What was the venue you were playing that uh, night? I don't think it's there anymore, but um, it's, it's on Wilshire and Crescent Heights. On the northwest corner of Wilshire and Crescent Heights. It's going to come to me, the name of it. But um, I was playing with a singer-songwriter, pianist named Frank McCone. And I had, you know, been establishing myself in, in the industry. And I'd, you know, done some significant shows and stuff. So um, he came to hear me play. <laughs> he had heard about me. And uh, the bass player that was playing his name is Raymond McKinley and he played with Tower Power and he also was music director for Rochelle Farrell and she's an amazing jazz vocalist as most people know but um Rochelle and Prince were really good friends so they came together and they were just sitting in the back and while we were playing Raymond just like leans down and is like guess who's here <laughs> you know like who and he said, Prince is here, and he, he came to hear you play. So then I'm, you know, nearly dropped my sticks. What the heck? Are you serious? You know, so we're just having this chit-chat about him being in the audience, you know. And so uh, we took a break in between sets, and his bodyguard came up and said, Hey, uh, Prince is in the back, and he'd like to meet you. 
So, you know, I'm fixing things. You know, you, so let me fix my snare drum and let me, oh man, okay, let me, okay, wow, he's here. Good. <laughs> so that's how I felt like, okay, let me, cool, I guess I should go um, talk to him. That's cool. <laughs> you know? So um, I ended up sitting and really listening more. And he talked about, um, I mean, he talked about the importance of quality uh, content. And I remember him talking about Jill Scott, the vocalist, writer, um, singer, and um, just having the best equipment to get the best results. And so many other things that I, I later journaled. Um, Level One is the name of the club. Mm. Level One, I think that's the name of it. But um, it was the name of it. <clears throat> so um, we had to go back and play. And I said, well, this is just a huge pleasure. It's great to meet you. And I'm sure you'll be gone by the time we're done, <laughs> like Batman or something. Um, but thank you. You know, thank you. And so after we finished playing the second set, his assistant came up to me, Ruth, and she said, uh, so Prince wants me to get your contact information, and he wants to buy you the drum set of your dreams, like whatever you want. And I said, okay, wow, yeah, thanks. And <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that, yeah. <laughs> so um, we exchanged information, and I already had a relationship with DW Drums, and so I called and said, hey, looks like I'll be ordering a kit, you know. And um, it's funny because a friend of mine, Takumi, that worked with Prince, um, he he surprised me with that like invoice, that order um, in this orange Prince folder that Prince used to use. Uh, so that was amazing. It, it made me cry because he was like, I was there. I was a part of him, you know, pouring into you and investing in in into you and. Uh, and it was amazing, you know, so it took about five weeks for the drums to come, and fr that same artist that I played with when I met him that night, we were doing a Blue Note tour in Japan, and uh, I got the drums, and I called and told Ruth, hey, I, I wanted to tell him thank you, you know, please let him know I appreciate it. So he called me back, and he said, um, you know, what, what are you doing? I said, preparing for this tour. He said, well, bring the drums to the house. Let's jam. So I brought the guys that were a part of that experience over to his house before we left. It's probably like three days before we left for Japan. And we just jammed in his house. And then he said, well, let me know when you get back, and I'd love to do some things. And we started doing all these after parties of the Oscars and the Grammys. And, um, yeah, that was, that was the beginning. That was how it unfolded. Just incredible. I mean, how hard would it have been to go to Japan after that? Oh my day? God. Just thinking like what it can be and what it was. And then he said that. And this was, I mean, yeah, it was, it was overwhelming. And it was also exactly what I had in mind. You know, it's like you have a dream and you think, man, one day it'd be cool if this, and one day it'd be cool. And then when you're in the one day, it's mind boggling. And then it's like, but I, I said this, and this is, wow, this is that, you know? And so it felt like that, you know? Very humbling and riveting and exciting. And, yeah. and, and you say it evolved very organically, just how you were working together and yeah. across live shows and recording. And yeah. um, were there, and it must be impossible, but were there any sort of real highlight moments or experiences becoming part of that inner circle? 
Well, let's see. There's so many, so many. Let me think. Um, I can tell you a funny moment that was <laughs> a highlight with him. Um, and we spent a lot of time. We we really it was we were family, and so we would you know cook and hang out. And he's a super basketball player. And so one day we were at Paisley and we were playing horse and he's doing all these tricks. And so we're just going back and forth. And of course, he, I'm super competitive and he's super competitive. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he does this move and then I mimic the move and then it's my turn. So I start from like the middle of the court and I go, I bring, I'm bouncing the ball. I bring it around my back and then i you know, throw it over my shoulder or something, and and it goes in, and so then he has to do it, and he loses. Oh my god! <laughs> he lost, and he was so bummed that he like ran out the gym, <laughs> like, oh my god! <laughs> and so we were just dying laughing, you know. And it was just one of those moments where yeah. it was so just beyond the stage, <clears throat> beyond the lights, and it was just like our friend, and it was cool, you know. So you know, as awesome and just incredible as you know, 21 Nights in London and all of these incredible musical experiences, I think um, some of the highlights were really more about him as a human being and as a, uh, a thinker and a creative and just someone who really cared about people. He really cared about people, um, probably more than people realize. Um, and he cared about people that he would never meet, you know, and when you're an innovator and a trailblazer, you care about the future that you might not ever see. And I got a chance to see that, you know, from the inside. That was a really powerful space. And you're the, you're the same way. You know, you do something and you sow a seed. Outer space. You just, you just put me in a <laughs> sentence with Prince. Like, yes. I'm going to. I'm because gonna... you're that. <laughs> you're that. And I, Queen, wow. I saw it. Humbling. I saw it. <laughs> and I see it. It sits before me in, in the uh, person of you. So, uh, yeah, those, those were highlights. And they're almost, I mean, uh, not necessarily one moment, but a moment of moments that were that. That understanding of... Uh, you know, of also how um, challenging it can be to think that much and to care that much and to be outnumbered by people who sometimes just don't care that much. He cared about sound that much and he cared about fashion that much and he cared about business that much. And, you know, sometimes we care about some things a lot, but mm -hmm. not everything. And he cared about everything. And it was cool to see that. On that perfect note, what is the music that you would send into space? Oh, let's see. Let me think about that. I'm looking. Well, I'm send? looking right at it. <laughs> um, okay, so there's a song that I wrote that I sent you before this even unfolded, and you invited me to be a part of the show. But it felt like our conversation over tea. Um, it felt just like that. So I said I had to share this with you, and it's called "What About." And I wrote it in one sitting. And I wrote it thinking about how much we divide ourselves into these fragments in order to validate our existence. But how much we are so, um, so much more alike than we are different. 
And uh, so the song speaks to all these things that we use as a division of ourselves when really we're just one. Let's, I would send that. Let's take a listen to What About by Queen Cora Coleman. What if there was no way? Wait, 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 wait. And you realized you Nothing holding you back Nothing holding you down Everything and everyone As free as a child As a child What if life was a never-ending dance Sometimes speedful, yes, sweet graceful What if life radiated love And love was safe and safety free All encompassing Secure, consistent, like play on the beach. Ideas like sand within infinite reach. Everything beautiful, everything an adventure. All things divine, all things in time. Do understand that every step you take is lit for you, for you. What if I never saw a difference between them and us And they never saw a difference in me What if I lived life fearlessly What if I judged less And lived more What if I never apologized for being great Always in time And never late What if I see me in them Her in him Him and them And we and me This path is personal. personal. This path will wow. This path is ours. This path is, is now. What about Queen Cora Coleman? And that was the music that you would send into space. Yes. And, you know, I hear a little of Bobby's simple pleasures hey, in that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and even Prince, you know, we have gathered, ladies and gentlemen, we have gathered, you know, in consciousness. You know, that's kind of a tribute to Prince there, too. Definitely. And everything on that track is is my voice. Amazing. <laughs> so awesome. I've watched you, obviously, not live, but I've seen you play it, you know, on a kit and sing simultaneously, which I always marvel at. Oh, and you're, yeah. and it's super powerful. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So um, we have to talk about how you came to join Beyonce after having... Five, over five years with Prince. Yeah. Um, how did that come to be? So there was a time when I was working with Prince that 
there were some people that were not positive energy. And so after a while of it not changing, I decided that I didn't want to be there anymore because I wasn't happy. Um, And so, you know, I just withdrew from working with him. And a friend of mine was, um, her name is Kim Burr. She was Beyonce's music director. And she called maybe about five months later and asked if I was busy. She had been interested in me being a part of the female band. And um, before, you know, I was playing with Prince. I couldn't, I couldn't really do it. But she asked if I would be a part of the um, promotion of the four album, of Beyonce's four album. And so I was available. And so it was just supposed to be the promotional tour for that. And there were um, two other drummers and a percussionist that were in the band prior. So um, it was also part of the expansion of my drum set working with her because I ended up um, just doing the gig by myself. So I, I felt like I needed to kind of recreate the sound of two drummers and percussion, you know. Um, so I did the four album um, promotional tour and that was how my relationship started with Beyonce. Yeah. And and having, you know, not to go back to the Super Bowl halftime show, but obviously, like, I mean, <laughs> two out of ten, that's, you know, that's powerful. And when mm. you were doing it with Prince, did you ever think, oh, I'll be back here. I'll be back here again with another of my visual journal artists. <laughs> um, I did not. But I did know um, that there was going to be more. To life, I did know that, and I did um, probably what most people wouldn't do, which is is to leave a space that feels like an apex. Um, but you asked me, you know, earlier, sort of what is my um, tonic or what is my root, and um, health is that, mm. and so mental health is a big part of that. And sometimes we do things that that make us very unhappy in the name of something else. You know, that is that really doesn't matter, like um, fame or something, you know, and so we lose parts of ourselves. um, And I didn't want to do that for a long time. You know, I enjoyed it, but I just I knew that there's so many more things to do in Mm. life, you know, and so um, but it was cool when the second time came around because I was like, what's the chance? <laughs> well, what is the chance? Yeah, because... One, you are the only one. Yeah, I know, <laughs> which is cool. <laughs> you know, my dad, he used to make this really simple statement, but he would always say, well, why not? You know, because people say, well, why would you do that? And why would you do that? And why would you do that? And my dad would be like, well, why not you? Why not? You know, why not do that? And why not try that? And why not it be you? You know? Your dad is a genius because that, yeah. um, no, that's something I've, that is the line. That's w- what I constantly say. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. You know, because, but then in that same way, there's no reason to do anything here except for just exist. But the whole point of being here is to explore and expand and do, you know, whatever we can, whatever we perceive to be sort of interesting and possible. Mm-hmm. Um Totally. So, wow. Uh, so much to say. <laughs> so many questions. Because also I'm thinking, 
I, I still I want to go back to something because you said you know you think you're obviously someone that thinks a lot. Yes. How do you not get scared, or how do you not you know the that whole thing of having these huge like mammoth moments that other people would just like probably quake at mm. how is it that you use the power of your mind um well i mean i can understand because i've spent time with you but like okay. how do you overcome the fear or the doubt or the thoughts that aren't necessarily he healthy or helpful mm. i think the journaling and visualizing is a huge part of it you know because you know the the way the brain works you can dream about something or daydream or nightdream or, you know, fantasize or whatever, and your senses will respond, you know, as if it is. And so if you spend a lot of time practicing or visualizing, then you train the body to respond as it would be if it was in that space. So then it actually becomes less unfamiliar the more you dream the more you try, the more you explore. And so um, as a kid, I fell a lot, but I got up just as much as I fell, if probably not more, you know? And then it then becomes about the art of the fall. So then it's not falling anymore, it's something else, you know? So I think uh, I do get nervous, and sometimes we're nervous because we hope whatever we do is received and then I started saying, well, let me do my best, right? And then if I do my best, then I can't do anything more than my best. So then let me prepare. So if I prepare, then I'm, I'm ready to do my best. And then when I do my best, then I don't have to worry about what they think because that was my best. And if they didn't like it, then, you know, kind of, oh, well. But I can be proud of myself for trying and that is success in itself. And then achieving through that try and then, you know, being on a platform. And so then that, that platform on the 50-yard line of the Super Bowl was really no different than when I was the section leader at Howard mm. on the 50-yard line, yeah. you know, because I was just pursuing my best, you know. But it, it also makes me center my thoughts and keep things in perspective, you know, because as quickly as I am where I am, whatever that is, um, that can change. You know, I can pass away from this dimension and then I'm, n I'm not here anymore with the same impact. Mm. Or I can get into an accident and I can lose my limbs and if I identify myself as exclusively I'm Prince's drummer mm. or I'm Beyonce's drummer or I am this thing, well then when I separate from that thing, then, then I don't know who I am anymore, yeah. you know. So I think over time, it's made me see my performance as less of a performance and more of, of an expression. You I know? mean, it, look, it makes a total sense because you are highly conscious and aware and in tune. Um, and it is that thing that is very hard, you know, particularly in the entertainment, mm. entertainment world sure. to not get attached to external validation or factors mm. and realize that actually it's about doing yeah what you believe in what you believe is right um and it's never one you know it's your validation doesn't come from anything externally um and your worth and your value also doesn't 
but you know there are very few people that would have the wisdom to actually say no this isn't serving me anymore i'm mm. gonna move on so like i just think you're pretty amazing <laughs> <laughs> um and you know you're a you're all, so many things you're an entrepreneur um as well as as well as an educator and uh, and a business owner and tell me just a bit about how that has always been part of your life mm. and also specifically with building simple which mm. is you know it's like a full-time <laughs> job oh yeah so okay i grew up uh, i kind of mentioned my grandparents being community leaders but they were educators too and so they were really passionate about making sure we understood what we were doing and that we had a, a solid infrastructure in education um so that was a part of it so it was always like kind of this pursuit for information and understanding and and in doing that, I naturally helped other people. So that's kind of like the education side and the mentorship side. So I've always, if I've always felt like, well, if I have it, then I can and I can help you. And you want my help, then sure, I'll help you. You know. So that's kind of been there. And um, I think my dad probably and my mom just talked about being a solution to people. So if you can help people, you know, it's like food, clothing, shelter, safety. Um, and then entertainment. Those are the, kind of the fundamental needs of people or interests of people. So if you could provide any of those, then you'll always be an asset to people. And um, I'm vegetarian, you know, vegan as often as I can be, but um, I'm into sustainable living and I'm into what's good for the environment and people. And so um, being around um, real estate with my grandparents and then my dad, and my aunt actually maintained it after they passed away, and then my dad passed away. Um, I was, prior to my dad passing away, I wanted to create something that would sort of be an, my expression of the legacy of what we do in our family mm. with real estate. But I also wanted to combine it with what I do in the music industry. So in the music industry, we'll have, I don't know, um, three tiers of a stage with pyrotechnics and an elevator and, you know, all of that come up in a, in a day with LED screens and whatever. And you have this whole show and then it all breaks down and, and it's in the city, in another city the next day. And, you know, ideally no casualties or anything. So my thought was, how can I merge like that world with this real estate construction world, but not leave my world, you know? So there was a, a time where I was building a, a house in uh, Houston, outside of Houston, and I was looking at what was going to be the best material to use because that's kind of a hurricane area, mm. that region, the Gulf. So what would be great sustainable materials? So initially I was looking at concrete homes, and then, you know, it was really pricey, so I looked at just different options, and then I came across con shipping containers. And I noticed, okay, they withstand like the worst weather coming across the ocean and then when you open the doors everything is still in there so I was like oh that could be cool so I started looking at container projects and then I would see them in my travels like in Amsterdam there's this dorm you know that's really really cool and so um only thinking initially okay this is going to be our house mm -hmm. you know but then because of sort of my track record with doing things and then people end up later saying hey can you show me how to do that i was like oh we should start a company 
<laughs> you know, so then when people want to know how to do this, then then all the systems are in place, and this would be a great outlet for that. So that was kind of the the birth of Building Simple, and um, then you know transitions in life happen, and I went through a divorce, and then my you know well actually my dad passed first, and then went through a divorce, and then um, just life, you know. So I kind of put it on pause and went on tour with Zucchero and did some other things, but I always knew that that was going to be a great, you know, investment in my future and a great solution for people. And I was really passionate, so I just kept studying about it. And then I launched the company at the 10-year mark of doing the Super Bowl with Prince um, when uh, Lady Gaga did the Super Bowl in Houston. So just to kind of mark that time of his influence in my business life as well, um, and then my dad, sort of an honor to my dad, and then an honor to what will come after me from the efforts and the seeds that I sow now. So um, I started it, and it's evolved wonderfully well, and I will likely... Well, I've already been in meetings about doing some development here in Los Angeles, and that is an exciting unfolding, and it allows me to sort of balance the creative side of being here mm. and then have Building Simple as well. So on the subject of legacy, because that is clearly something that um, is behind everything that you do, yeah. um, what would be the song that you would have play at your memorial? Oh, B2, you're so deep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I'm a super NDRE fan, and she has the song, I Am Light. And it basically speaks that we are light, you know, and we are, we are light to life and to each other. Some of the lyrics says, you know, I'm not my failures. I'm not all these other things, which are so easy. You know, we're not our insecurities. We're not even our father's daughters, you know, or mother's daughters. We're not all, all that we're we're so many more things than some of those titles um but we're light and so i think uh what i would want people to remember at my mori- my memorial is being light you know in spaces that maybe are more gray or more dark well let's take a listen to i am light by india ari That was I Am Light by India Ari, and that was the song that Queen Cora Coleman would choose to have at her memorial. Um, I really hope I am not there because I'd be too devastated. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Well, yeah, we also know that that's all irrelevant in many ways. Yeah, but it's why we, you know, live in this moment to the fullest. And that track, um, you know, you you said that you re- just like the fact that it's sort of pulling up all that divisive labeling mm-hmm. and the ideas of what we are, which are ultimately limited, yeah. um, and focusing on the the opposite, which is, you know, the full expanded version. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there's something also, I mean, think, it's interesting just looking at your choices, like there are themes that kind of come in and out, mm. you know, and a lot of the time about that commonality of humanity rather than all this stuff we get stuck in about mm-hmm. like... Regret yeah. and fear. And, and, late, and who we are and how we define ourselves. Yeah, and, definitely, definitely. Um, so who's next in the visual journal? <laughs> Who's next? You are! <laughs> yes. I was hoping you'd say <laughs> But you yeah. also mentioned Patti LaBelle. Yeah. What's funny is, like, so Ali wrote a lot of Patti songs, oh. like Stir It Up. And, oh, yeah. yeah. So, just as an aside. Yeah. Um, hey, Patti. Yeah. Miss Patti. So, she'll, she'll be listening. She's a big fan is of she? Yeah. Let me tell you. You're amazing. I'm going to just tell you directly. I love you. So what was really cool is one day I went to center staging in Burbank. And she, she um, I, you know, in center staging, they have these double doors for a sound, um, to like a sound barrier. Mm. So in between the doors, there's just like this black space, you know. Um, and so I was just being nosy, basically going, and I was like, I know, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm gonna see one of my friends in one of these rehearsal spaces. So I opened the door, and it was really dark, so my eyes are adjusting, and then somebody's on the other side opening the door, and I'm like, oh crap, they're gonna tell me I need to leave or whatever, right? And then so I'm peering, and they're peering, and so I'm like, who, what, you know? And it was her at the door. <laughs> opening the door and so she you know says come on in come on in and and so i'm just kind of (laughs) like just kind of when was that this was at center staging rehearsal studio in burbank california um hmm i guess it would have been maybe six years ago or so you know we we played the well prince was honored with a lifetime achievement awards achievement award at the bet awards and so she she started saying, I know your face. I know your face. So, you know, I'm thinking, yes. How do you know my face, though? Right. And so she says, uh, no, 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 no. And I was just really like, I, I don't know, you know. And she said, no, I know that smile. I remember that smile. She said, you were on the front row with Prince at the award show because she was a part of the tribute with Alicia Keys and Janelle Monet. And, and, and I said, yeah. And she's like, I never forget that smile, you know. So I'm feeling super special. So, Miss Patty, I love you. Cool her off. Hey, I didn't even realize it's already happened. She literally symbolically was opening a new door. Talk about it! Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's for sure that. But you know, I think if I could say who's next on the visual journal, in the visual journal, it's actually myself. It's me, you know, and it's the Queen orchestra and collaborations with other amazing beings that I I would enjoy dialogue through creativity you know sounds perfect yeah um and what do you feel most proud of I think I would say I feel most proud for trying yeah trying and what words of advice would you pass on I always say life is rhythm and rhythm is patterns. That's my mantra. A mixture of upbeats and and downbeats, (laughs) sound and silence. (laughs) It's a balance. So, you know, the words of advice I would give is um, wherever you are 
or wherever you want to be is a matter of rhythm. And whether you're stuck in a space um, and you want to get out or you find yourself stuck, you know, you became stuck over a series of patterns. And those patterns happen through your thoughts and through those thoughts that impact your attitude and then your attitude impacts your behavior and then your behavior is a reputation. So whether that reputation is good or bad is a matter of changing the pattern. And if you want to enhance it, it's a matter of increasing the frequency of the pattern, you know, and not even <clears throat> as a timekeeper, I deal with tempo, which is more about frequency than it is about chronology and so if you step away from time like we've been having this interview for what feels like no time at all and then forever at the same time right if we you if you release chronology and you just flow in frequency then your life can be whatever you want it to be as a series of patterns and choices so my advice would be mind your groove and what is the album you'd pass on to the next generation and why? It's a little Quincy. Yeah, Quincy Jones. Um, what did I say? Back on the Block, maybe? The Back on the Block album? Yeah. Or that song, for sure. Quincy Jones is such a comprehensive being and creative. And he, he's in the fabric of so much of people's life's narrative, you know? And so I would pass it on to the next generation so it filters through all the ways we receive information and he was extremely talented and he just kept evolving and he didn't um, limit himself to like one genre or one culture or one part of the world one expression and I just think that the more we can see the fullness of ourselves and hear it you know through music and I think he would be you know a great sort of portal for that then the greater we are as a collective. So we're going to end on that in just a few moments. But the last question, the last two questions I have for you, Queen. <laughs> what is the thread that connects all of your Orange Juice for the Year choices? What is the thread that connects all of my Orange Juice for the Year's choices? Love. And what is it that you hope to leave behind with the work that you've done and that you're continuing to do? Love. Perfect. So on that note, Queen, bless you. <laughs> Thank, you, Thank, <laughs> Thank you. you for being here. Um, and this is Birdland by Quincy Jones. <laughs> 